from the creator economy to the end of Bretton Woods and the origins of the metaverse. This is the UAE Tech Podcast Web3 edition. Tune in for cutting edge interviews on how blockchain is reshaping cyberspace, finance and culture from here in Dubai and cities around the world. Everyone's going to come to blockchain because users are going to demand that their time and their value stays with them. And once people like us start proving the concept, right? Once we start spoiling the gamers saying, hey, man, you don't have to give us back anything. We're just a service. We're just a platform. You come, you're playing the game. It's just the fees that you're paying to to to, to trade. There is no centralized authority where you're dumping millions of your hard-earned money into. I think once people like us, products like ours, start spoiling gamers, it'll be very hard for them to look the other way, right? So I do see in the next five years, the metaverse, sure, might become a little more of a reality when it comes to maybe just special events or community get-togethers. Um, I I don't really see a meta a very fluid metaverse where millions of people just want to come and hang out just just yet in the near future. But with gaming, definitely, I feel that all gamers are going to start demanding that, hey, man, this is my character. I took it from level one to 100. I want to own it. I want to be able to sell it. I want to be able to, I don't know, whatever I want to do with it, I want to be, I should be able to do it. Because like you said, I've put 80 hours into this. I've put 800 hours into this. And then they'll be like, you know what? I don't want to play World of Warcraft. I'll play Legends of Bezogio because it's just as entertaining. I'm having just as much fun. But you know what? That sword's worth $100 and I can actually get $100 when I want for it. Pillage, mint, summon and earn. Welcome to the world of blockchain gaming. Legends of Bezogia is a massive multiplayer online role-playing game combining tokenomics, NFTs and competitive ranked gaming with the blockchain. That means players can invest in a Bezoji avatar, mint magic blocks, sell in-game items and become part of the Bezogia community. But seriously, who cares? The new Call of Duty's just dropped, the PS5 VR headset is on the way, and Elden Ring already looks like nothing else and takes over 100 hours to complete. Ahmed Zakaria is the co-founder of Zogi Labs. He's been playing video games since the Atari. Despite the recent FTX collapse, he believes that not only are crypto and blockchain technologies here to stay, but they're about to transform an extremely engaged, profitable and global sector of the digital economy, namely video games. Today we're talking to Ahmed Zakaria from Zogi Labs. Um, Zach, great to have you on the call. So, I mean, we'll jump straight in, but before we talk a bit about your work, a bit about blockchain and AA gaming, we should probably start with a little bit of context as to what's going on in the crypto blockchain world. So FBF has just been uh, arrested. Big news. I'm not sure if it's that surprising, but maybe you can just, you know, introduce us all to, to what's happening uh, in this space and what crypto and blockchain companies are feeling like right now? Oh, well, first of all, John, thanks for having me. Um, 
Well, yes, it is big news today uh, and yesterday uh, about FSPF getting arrested. And generally, I think as we built Zoji Labs through the bull markets into the builders markets, I think um, generally what happens during these markets is that when there's a hype of uh, or excitement in the industry and investments flowing in, uh, you normally end up noticing a sell to build style of model. Generally, that happens in the real estate industry as well, where developers sell to build, which means that they first sell their assets and then start developing the project later. And I think generally the market suffers a lot because a lot of the investments depreciate because people pay in assets like crypto. And generally when you get uh, centralized players coming into the game, it does go kind of out of control because when you, let's say, for example, are purely decentralized, everything's kind of hosted and, you know, ledgered out on the blockchain. Every transaction, whether it's Bitcoin or ETH or any 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 other token of any other chain. But when centralized entities start stepping in, uh, the methodologies of funding is more contractual. And there's a lack of uh, proof proof of ledger, proof of any anything, provenance, even, even funding. And I think generally what we've seen is the collapse of that because the centralized structure of creating capital or investing into companies never actually existed on the blockchain. Um, and I think uh, definitely when you see a 90% downturn in any market, any market, it's, it's bound to take some of the, wipe out some of the biggest players. Like in COVID, we noticed uh, Hertz went bankrupt, right? Like a rent rent a car company or uh, airlines were going bankrupt. So when crypto takes 80, 90% downturn, it's kind of, it kind of does make sense that some of the largest players would take a hit, right? Um, so yeah, that's my, my two cents, John. Yeah, I guess, I guess in a way it's surprising in it, how it happened in another way. Some people won't be that surprised. I was watching this kind of meme video and um, the kind of joke in the meme was FUD, which is like, oh, with these with these crypto, you know, crypto bros, everything is fear and certainty and doubt. And any criticism is FUD, FUD, FUD. Um, and it was kind of, you know, making fun of all the kind of um, crypto maximalists, right? But at the same time, you know, in Dubai and and in other countries, but but also in the UAE, there's been kind of, you know, the people who think, this is a really interesting industry. Web3 is legitimate. Um, uh, there, are, there are really captivating things that can be built. And then there's the other group who are kind of like, we told you so. This is the tip of the iceberg. This was always going to happen. We need loads of regulation. What are your thoughts on that? You know, are both sides kind of right? Or is this just, you know, a, a realignment and, um, you know, blockchain companies and projects over the next five years are only going to get stronger? Or do you think, wow, you know, this is a big shift. The regulators are coming. Um, I think, honestly, it's the lack of education, John. So what happens is um, opportunities like this, where we speak or people speak and educate the crowd should be encouraged more because... When people are introduced to crypto, they're introduced to it with greed, with speculation, mm. with with the chance of just mm. making money. So what happens is a coin is just a coin. It becomes a it becomes almost a, a non-existent virtual asset 
moreover, it becomes psychologically just a purely speculative play, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's, I think, generally what happens. So when you talk about both sides, I agree with both sides. Yeah. Crypto bros, their homies and their homies yeah. right now, all of them are not in a good place, right? <laughs> they, so their grandmother's calling them saying, hey, you made me buy ETH at 4,000, right? So I, I do understand that. But what, what I also, what I'm against is that there is so much utility, use cases, transfer of value, proof of authority, so much use to blockchain, right? Um, and that we don't really discover it. We don't really go back to say that, hey, if I'm going to speculate on this asset, right? What is the underlining value behind it? So for example, if I want to hold this on a long term, right? How do I analyze my investment? And the problem with crypto is the minute someone tells you to invest in crypto and you haven't invested in crypto, the only thing they're saying to you is, hey, I bought it for 10 cents and it's at $5 today, right? So I think generally education is a big is a big problem that people get into crypto the wrong way. Well, it's just my opinion, but if you get into anything in life, in business, or anything with material first, uh, chances are you're bound to fail. Um, I, I remember I met Gary Vaynerchuk once and he said the same exact thing while he was speaking at the round table. He's like, you put money first and you'll fail. So I think it's a lack of education and, and the way that people enter crypto that creates these misconceptions. But if you really look at the tech, if you look at ETH, its layers, the smart contracts, the codes that are built on it, the way you can run trustless DeFi systems, these are all very, very valuable uh, protocols. And this is the technology of the future. Um, so yeah, that's again, that's what my thoughts are, John. No, that's a, that's a good argument. As someone at times I've been in this podcast and externally, I've been kind of, you know, hanging out with the crypto bros and with the regulators, you know, with both sides and listening to both sides. And it's often been kind of difficult to conceptualize and articulate where I stand, you know, and I think I'm, I'm very much in that similar space to you on some of these questions. Um, and I agree with you about, you know, getting into crypto or being educated about it for the wrong reasons. That is a great segue into the blockchain gaming space. So I want to ask you a little bit about that and then we'll get into to what you're specifically working on. But so what's happening in, in blockchain gaming? Why do you think that is such an exciting arena? I know you're talking about, you know, don't just get into this space for pump and dump. Don't just get in this into this space for material reasons. Um, and of course, gamers are a really interesting crowd strategically right now. You know, you've got the big tech companies moving into the metaverse, but you also have gaming companies. Some people argue gaming companies could be, you know, the future of some of these new worlds and these new uh, economic ecosystems that we're building. But just b beginning, basically, what got you into gaming and, and why are you working in blockchain gaming right now? And why is it exciting? Well, uh, if you ask anyone that's into gaming, they'll always tell you that, hey, we've been gamers, right? So luckily for me, I had a father who bought me every console out there from the Atari 
to the Nintendo game systems. Wait, you you can't have been Atari because we're we're around the same age. So like, I just came just after Atari, but Atari was cool. I remember so, Atari. So what would happen is my dad would buy all these consoles, even though we were very young. Yeah. And then once we went to sleep at night, he would kind of go play games all night. <laughs> So like my mom told us once we grew up, he's like, you know, you he bought you all the PlayStation and stuff, but he was playing it all night long while you guys would sleep and wake up for school the next day. <laughs> that sounds great. I had to go through hell to get all of my, I got them all, but I had to play various scams and all sorts of stuff just to get my hand on every single console. Did it, but it was never easy. So yeah, you should be thankful. Your dad sounds like a good guy. You know, basically what actually happened is there's three of us founders, right? So there's me, there's Nick, and there's Steve. And we're all gamers. And we've all been friends. I've been a very early adapter. So a lot of my friends uh, were introduced to the crypto space, I hope the right way, uh, in 2017. Uh, so we generally realized that, hey, as gamers, we are putting in so much value into these companies and into these servers. I mean, we have these completely like fully built World of Warcraft characters, items on all these other Web2 games where we probably spent thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars. And we realized the only way, and we've used it, was using black markets, right? To trade the value of our digital assets as gamers. The problem is that every single company out there, any Web2 company out there, it's their policy that if you were to trade something off the market, your account could get banned. Um, generally, because none of these games are actually designed to really give out value. A lot of games, and I think as, as we progress in this podcast, maybe I'll, I'll speak about it a little more. So for us, the main inspiration was that, hey, we love games. We put a lot of time into games, right? We invest our money into games and we really, okay, we get a lot of satisfaction, I'm sure. It's a great way to unite with our friends remotely, you know, uh, playing games together is a great way to stay in touch. But what about value? You know, as you get older and you get busier, you start realizing that, hey, you, you're worth something by the clock, right? By the hour, by the day, by, by a project or by a contract. So this was what inspired us. We said, hey, blockchain can be used for very good, solid two-way transfer of value. And that's why when we came out in May of 2021 to build out an MMORPG, it was kind of very unique and shocking to people because no one really stepped that far. You know, blockchain-based games were all turn-based games, all click-click every time on your MetaMask kind of games. Uh, so generally, that's what we did. We were first inspired by community. We saw the value of community. And and that value kind of, kind of self-funded us into building out the entire Zoji Labs. Um, I think that's the main inspiration. It was how do we allow seamless transfer of value instead of it being dictated by one central authority, which is a for-profit business, you know? So I think that's what kind of pushed us into this uh, foray. And the second thing we noticed was that gamers create the most activity online. So if someone uses the DeFi protocol, right, um, he'll use it a, every day once, maybe once a week. 
Um, if someone's using USDT for their business now, which is kind of getting common, they might be doing a few transactions every week. But when it game, comes to gamers, gamers are active users daily doing multiple transactions, right? Every single day. So we realize that there's a huge audience for it as well. Not only just a need to be paid for your time, but also a huge audience, which would bring a lot of on-chain volumes um, to, 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 to generally to any and all blockchains possible, right? Wherever the games are running. Yeah, that makes sense. And there's a, there's a lot there. I mean, I don't think even people who work in digital and, you know, um, analyze digital and work in policy, often they're not aware of just what the engagement levels are in gaming and what the amounts of, you know, digital revenue that go into gaming globally are, AAA gaming, but also, you know, on the Apple App Store, where I think a third or more of their total revenues on the App Store comes from from gaming. So, you know, billions. So I take what you were saying about, you know, how this community um, use video games and engage in ways that are kind of way more intensive than a lot of other types of software. <clears throat> We were in the UK recently and kind of, you know, it's raining and gray. And um, one of my friends said, well, it's no wonder everyone in this country plays video games. You know what I mean? Like once it hits kind of 5 p.m. in winter, there's nothing else to do. It's like it's kind of true. And I remember, you know, growing up with the Final Fantasies, you know, RPGs. Oh, and I think, yeah, you know, that I think to, com com to complete that, you had to put a bare minimum, bare minimum of like 45 hours in. You know what I mean? So, and that that was good. Like most people are clocking like 80, 100 hours. And mm -hmm. at that time, it didn't even occur to us, you know, that, you know, maybe we could make money out of this. Or maybe, you know, this sword that I've been leveling up for the past 20 hours is actually worth something on a market. And I think then, you know, it got we got a, a bit later into the evolution. You had Call of Duty and you had, you know, Elder Scrolls and all these other games. And people did really start thinking about it because they were spending a significant amount of their lives, uh, you know, in these games. Um, I guess there's two questions based uh, on what you said that you'll be really aware of. I think the first one is, you know, the AA game companies have been slow to integrate with blockchain because there's this been this kind of philosophical, perhaps old school argument that games are about fun, you know, and that like, as I kind of hinted at, if you've got a 12, 15 year old um, and they're in, you know, uh, it's the middle of winter in the UK, can't go outside. They just want to play a video game. And if everything is monetized, that kind of creates massive barriers to access. So I guess the first question is, what about fun? What about the enjoyment of video games? Do you think there's a really good ways that that can be merged with the blockchain so that everyone has access and not just the whales jump in, you know, and it's the guys with the big capital who are running all the, the, the gaming markets for items? So that's the first question. I'm, I'm sure you've got some good answers on that one. And then I guess the second question is, you know, in terms of the community, how is a is a blockchain gaming community slightly different to a traditional kind of you know console market or PC gaming community? So just two quick questions for you there before we jump into some of the specifics. Well, um, this is where blockchain is going to become quite revolutionary. So what we noticed was, and we really actually started building the game 
with the concept that hey the game has to be a ton of fun right that's why we chose yeah. the meme metaverse theme because with memes we could consistently every week with trending things on the web create entertainment within the game right so that's what we went with we said hey man let's make this a ton of fun right people should actually enjoy playing the game it should not really be about the earnings right any game company out there should focus on fun um the second thing is globally if you look at the statistics it's true the top 10 or 20% of the gamers are going to earn 80% of the revenue it, that just kind of how it works generally when it comes yeah. to mmorpgs is that because there is definitely people who are more dedicated than others so there's no way for anyone to create a balance without it being illogical or unfair to people's time and efforts into anything right so generally globally the statistics show us that 10 20% will kind of make 80% of all the assets revenue whatever it is in game um what we also noticed was we saw a lot of news articles right like coming out so when it comes to blockchain games we had axie when we came out literally the only thing we had out there to analyze was axie i mean i know tons yeah. of other projects got launched after that but for us that was the only thing cuz they were the pioneers and what we noticed is i was living in dubai at that time um and you know in dubai we have a huge crowd of southeast asians here like in the middle class what they were doing is they were buying axes sending it back home let's say to the philippines to their nephews or somebody right and then they were trying to create a passive income from it so it was more like a job we'd read news articles about 12 13 year old kids ditching school just to go earn 10 dollars a day in these internet cafes right huh. so blockchain gaming turn based gaming gave us a very good idea that hey there is a need for gamers also to be able to extract some value there's a huge audience for that like for us i understand it gets 5 pm in the uk we're we're blessed we're grateful we should be grateful that we can actually just get on our phone and spend like 4 hours numbing our minds playing playing games right yeah a good point but some some people don't have that so there is a little bit of a liberating factor here as well which kind of inspired us when it came to building out legends of bezodio um sorry i think uh, kind of covered your questions there right yeah both of them that was great and yeah of course i mean we you know i'm aware of everything you're saying and the the role of the kind of um developing world and east in some of these emerging gaming ecosystems is going to be fascinating because 10 dollars a day in some parts of the world is is a pretty good lifestyle you know um particularly if you're if you if you're a young kid you know um so we can maybe get into that later but i think that that is a big big question for for gaming and some of these other systems that are that are being built out in the metaverse as well but before getting into that so i want to ask you how have you brought all this together you know all of these ideas about gaming merging it with the blockchain you talked about the impact of axi um in terms of what crypto guys were doing but also globally in terms of you know how young people are using some of these new games online so what is zogi labs what is bizogi and how does someone become a bizogian all right okay so um we brought experience to the table right so that's why it came a bit organically to us steve 
was running a gaming company already. It used to do HTML games. He was building some other games on the side for almost 10 years. It was a company based out of Hong Kong where he was a partner. Um, Benji that was running Raptor Labs as a team that was best friends and it still is with Steve in China when they were there together. They were the first team in the world to build cross VR and cross platform games. Wow! I nice. came in, I've been building infrastructure on the blockchain since 2017. So generally it was just like a match made in heaven. That's how it happened. It, it, it was just, uh, we were all into crypto. We were all enjoying all the action that was taking place. And somehow when the three of us connected, because Nick's been my business partner as well for about eight years. So when the three of us connected, it just came natural to us that this is the way to go because we have gaming experience, we have infrastructure experience uh, and whatnot. So Zoji Labs was formed. We dropped our native token in May of 2021. It was called Bezoj. Bezoj was a complete fair distribution code, which means there was no pre-sales, nothing. We launched the contract with only the ether required to you know, launch a smart contract. I think about $10,000, $20,000 in market capitalization. And we just announced it to pretty much every Tom, Dick, and Harry we had our reach to. <laughs> so it was a very different thing because um, when we went fair distribution, thousands of wallets that came in early, you know, it made a life-changing difference to them as well because our market cap rode up to almost $1.6 billion uh, in November of 2021. Um so Bezoj was very successful. We had a small treasury allocation of 3%. And that helped us say, okay, fine, let's go ahead and let's start establishing the entities, hiring people, getting teams from our existing companies, and let's start putting Zoji Labs together. Um, we moved on. We dropped a bit of mini games. We did a bunch of cool music videos, staying true to the meme theme. I mean, you know... I'll get into that as well when it's time to for right. the jokes and laughs, right? Uh, yeah. Um, but moving on, what we did is in November, Raptor, us, Benji, we were able to actually have the first alpha version of the Legends of Bezogia world. So we brought it to the market. We went public alpha. I mean, call us decentralized or grateful for public servers, but we always felt open source and transparency was the best way to go. So we went public alpha with our game, and we launched our first and only collection of in-game characters called Bezojis. Those are NFTs. Those are the in-game characters. There's only ever going to be one collection because the way it's been designed is that one collection will then breed. We call it summoning because we have baby Bezojis as well. Kind of weird <laughs> if you say they're breeding, right? Yeah. Um, so we call it summoning. Um, that's what we did in November. And then moving on, we kept developing. We went open beta a little earlier this year, a few months back. Um, as Zoji Labs, what we've managed to put together is we have four, uh, four licenses and three offices now. So we have a gaming studio in Shenzhen, China, where we have- Oh, to... wow. That's fascinating. I love Shenzhen. Such a I, cool I, city. I, I love it too. I actually lived there for a year in 2019, building out an investment firm. When was that? No that's way. Where... Yeah, so that's what Nick was handling in Shenzhen. Cool. Uh, and Steve was just his best friend at the gym. It's kind of funny. Wow, that that's crazy. Of, yeah, yeah so. Shenzhen's such a young, cool, hip, techie city. Um, yeah, anyway, I know, fascinating. I, 
I absolutely love it. The energy is amazing. In it's fact, crazy. when they reduce the restrictions, Nick will be in Shenzhen, I think January 24th. So uh, we have a gaming studio there. So what we did is we took an office next to our current office. We built out an entire game studio. We have about 40 developers there. Very talented kids that we get from either some of the top universities or, you know, we, we headhunt head hunt yeah. them. Um, Raptor Labs and Benji, he moved from Shenzhen back to his head office in Switzerland. So we have a team of about eight or 10 very, very talented people running out of Switzerland. Um, we have the office in Dubai, which is pretty much the operational office. This is where we technically base ourselves from because truly Bezoj was born in Dubai. You know, I was here, we created it, we spread it out, out of maybe our first thousand holders, 80% of them are Dubai. So du so Bezoj was very Dubai born in many ways. A lot of the partnerships, the initial supports, a lot of things came out of here. So Zoji Labs head office is based in Dubai. It's a small team right now because we only hire heads over here, like finance, admin, marketing, like that. So we are about seven or eight people here in this office right now. And we have uh, an IT hub in Islamabad, Pakistan, where we have equity, where we have a team of about 12 people, some backend support and some of our JavaScript developers are there. So generally that's how Zoji Labs is put together. Um, it just made sense because the best place to do game development is China. Yeah, the best, yeah. best place to do all the lead designs and the, the te technical integrations are like, you know, European talents and, you know, Dubai has a very smart crowd as well. And in all honesty, if you ask me, man, I've never seen better JavaScript developers in my life other than Pakistan. Like they're very, very sharp, talented kids. And we're very lucky to have like three of probably the best JS guys out there in the country. So that's how we're formed. We're licensed as well. We have our foundation licensed. We have our Dubai office licensed as Zoji Online Gaming Services. Uh, Switzerland is licensed. That's a seven-year-old license as well. So that's how Zoji Labs is formed. Um, how we managed to do all of that so quickly, I'm not sure, but there's three of us. So if you take out the sleep hours, you know, uh, technically every year you have two years of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess your, uh, your time zones must be pretty interesting, but... Listening to you, what's so kind of fascinating about that is there's there's this theory in Dubai for our listeners about Dubai as kind of an export hub and as this meeting point between East and West in a way that you don't get in London or, or Seattle or, you know, DC. So this idea of Dubai as a place where if you want to tap into China, you can tap into China. If you want to tap into often Switzerland uh, or parts of Western Europe, you can. And then you can also have you know, little small offices in other cities, Istanbul being a kind of a perfect example. You are like the poster child for that whole theory, you know, that idea of, of, of Dubai is that, that kind of intersection between East and West. And yeah, you know, one of the things when I was out in, in Dubai that fascinated me most um, was that, you know, I met with a lot of the, the blockchain and, and particularly game devs from China, and I thought they were doing such cool stuff. Um, so it's really interesting that you're working across those kind of um, talent bases. No, and I have to say, like, you know, every place has its own energy. Um, I came to Dubai in 2004, right? 
um, very young, um, pretty much very broke as well, right? <laughs> and it's the vision of our rulers, right? I was born here as well, so I'm very patriotic in many ways when it comes to Dubai, but it's not just the vision of our rulers, it's the energy that vibrates through the land with that vision that really sparks entrepreneurship. Um, I've been in many environments of the world. I you know I built business in Shenzhen, in the UK, in the United States. It's just been my life these last 18 years, just traveling the world, building businesses. But the energy, the network, the integrity, and what's here in Dubai, I, I, I would say it's rarely found. Maybe, maybe parts and essence of it could be found in places like Miami, right? where there's a very big collective conscious of empowerment and growth. But beyond that, if you ask me, Dubai for me is the city. If you're really looking to, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say this, but quote unquote, break out of the matrix. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think Dubai is a great city. It's fun. Um, the vibe there is great. I also like personally that vibe of being in what feels like a global melting pot i know everyone says you know london and new york is meant to be like that but it doesn't feel the same as dubai where you can literally meet guys from shenzhen you know with a gaming lab um but yeah i kind of agree with you about about the vibe in, in dubai and it's interesting that, that you grew up there and were born there i didn't know that but um yeah also shenzhen you know i remember going there one i i think i'd been to Asia a couple times um by the time I was around you know I think 22 23 so I was very aware that you know the energy there is very different to kind of where I grew up and I remember going to Shenzhen and uh, we were with a friend we were in a, a bubble tea bar um this was before bubble tea well almost before bubble tea was cool in the UK and they were they had this massive skyscraper opposite and I said to my friend, Dad, God, that's massive. How long did that take to build? And she said, oh, that wasn't here like 10 months ago. <laughs> I don't even know when they when they did that. And this was about, you know, this must have been like 2004, 2005. Um, so I don't know what Shenzhen is like now. I haven't I been know, since. The but Chinese, I, Yeah, the Chinese it's crazy. It might have a little bit of a negative impression in global media. But the way the Chinese government builds, it's ridiculous. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. Like I there's mean... traffic piling up on a street. A week later, there is construction. A week later, entire new roads have been built. Because, you know, the thing is, it's their contractors, their people, their company. I mean, it just runs a very lean system. I mean, I'm not very, I'm not trying to say I'm pro-communist or anything, but, <laughs> but the thing it, is, like, if one entity controls the project turnkey from start to finish, right? Like the same way as Zoji Labs, we barely outsource. Whatever we do is done in-house, right? So we have control on our roadmaps. We have control on our timelines where we know what we need and how to deliver it without relying on a third party. I think that's why you see infrastructure in China is faster than anywhere in the world, like bridges, roads. I mean, everything is just run by one entity, right? So I think maybe that's why, but I love the energy in Shenzhen. And that's what I mean. If you wake up, like, so I live in Seattle as well. I wake up, it's a different energy. When I used to wake up in Shenzhen, I would just be itching to get out of the house, even if I didn't have a meeting for two hours, you know? 
And in Dubai, it's kind of like that. Like when I'm in Dubai, I can barely sleep. I can't sleep more than four or five hours. I think you noticed my Twitter message at five in the morning. So it's just, I think that that it subject to where you are, where you're based, there is an energy. Um, in fact, one, uh, Steve actually moved from Shenzhen to Dubai last week. Um, not completely, but he's decided to live here as well because he's like, my God, man, half the time I speak to people in Dubai, I actually feel like I'm progressing. Yeah, that makes sense. Actually, I want to ask, so I want to ask you about a couple things, but one thing there is, so, you know, Dubai is in focus, um, a lot for what it's doing in crypto and blockchain. And, you know, there's regulators in, in London and DC talking about, you know, what is going on with that, that community in the UAE. Um, and I think, you know, there's, there's various arguments on it, but um, I think another thing the UAE is is really pushing ahead with and doing really well with is this idea of the metaverse, of course. And, you know, there's a, there's a Dubai government white paper, a Dubai government strategy around the metaverse. And part of that is bringing game, gamers and gaming talent into the UAE, particularly actually blockchain-based gaming talent, because that already merges with a lot of the evolution that the country has been having in the blockchain and Web3 space, as we've seen from previous episodes of this podcast. You know, we've spoken to amazing global talent from the blockchain industry all coming into Dubai. So I guess we've already seen that on the UA Tech podcast. What I want to ask you is, what is it like? How is it changing in terms of gaming? Um, and, you know, can be frank, like, is there a talent shortage in the UAE? Do you think this is a space that's going to move really fast in 2023? You know, what are the the strengths and advantages in terms of building out a gaming company in blockchain in the UAE? And how do you think, you know, things can possibly get even better in the future? Well, I think when you're blockchain, you should think very global. So um, I'm not saying that our strategy is like, the best strategy but what happens is generally building out let's say a game studio in dubai is not very viable for a business uh three or four reasons i'll i'm improvising but one would be like there's a high cost of living so you have to pay a higher payroll to your staff yeah right secondly there's always a demand for talent so retaining and not having some of your talent get poached is also a bit difficult yeah right and I do agree with you with the phenomenon of gaming. I mean, it comes from how Web2 went to esports, right? And now everyone's seen what a phenomenon esports can be. So it only makes sense that, hey, if you had blockchain, right, that it would even work even better. So I think Dubai has its advantages. If you're looking for global talent that can run senior level uh, tasks or, in, or titles in your company, there's definitely no place better than Dubai, right? Because really, like, people actually enjoy to come to live here as well, right? Um, and those people are smart, they're talented, they're independent, they know what they're doing in their life, they know how to take care of their finances, you know, so on and so forth. So there is advantages, there's disadvantages. The biggest advantage I do have to say is the government and the fact that regulations are being discussed, regulations are being put in pace, Authorities have been set up, like you mentioned, the Virtual Asset Regulatory Authority. Um, someone I've been actually meaning to get in touch with. Um, because Zoji Labs, as you've noticed, is a very quiet company in many ways. Um, because we're still in build mode, right? So we don't make that much noise just yet. But I think, yes, I think. And, and yeah, the biggest advantage I feel. 
So I'm on a 12 hour time zone difference when I live with my, uh, with my wife and kids. I think Dubai being in a central time zone is also a very, very good thing. So running the company from Dubai, it's so easy to get all our teams connected from, 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 from Asia all the way to the United States if we needed to at one specific time and everyone can be available and it's not an odd time for them. So I think that's a big advantage as well that Dubai sits right in the center of like the global time zones. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. that's that's very good for communication, you know, uh, especially for data as well. Like sometimes in crypto when the markets are really hot, news from Asia makes as much of a difference as news closing out in California does. So being in Dubai is like strategic. Yeah, that More makes sense. More than viable, I would say, yeah. It might not be as feasible, but it is very strategic to be here. Yeah, it's a, actually a really good list of strengths. So um, as importantly, I wanted to ask you about this meme game. So what, what, how do memes fit into all of this? You're mentioning the use of, of memes and some of the game dynamics in, in uh, Bizoji world. What's that all about? Okay, so there is a little more underlining foundations to Legends of Bezoji and why it's built this way, okay? So memes are entertaining. Everyone loves memes, okay? Um, and anything can be made into a meme. So, for example, we have enemies in the game like Donald Dump and Donald Trump. Now, what we also did is, <laughs> other than just memeing it, we wanted to give it a crypto touch as well. Okay, and I'll explain to you where I'm going with this. We're using memes to actually even adopt people into crypto. So our game also gives you crypto education. So for example, Donald Dump is a bear and Donald Pump is a bull. Well, he's half bull, half human and half bear, half human. Or we have weapons like the liquidator or a meme weapon like the Elon musket, right? <laughs> so what's happening is, is we have created a seamless entry into our game, which means doesn't matter if you have a wallet, or whatever. As long as you have an internet connection, you will not be able to tell that you're entering a blockchain game because all the integration is hidden in the background. And this is what we decided that we wanted to bring a zero barrier to entry game because we're building a fun game. Why should it be restricted to people having wallets or having to hold expensive NFTs and learning how to use MetaMask, so on and so forth, right? So for us, the meme theme brought a lot of engagement, right? Every week we got new ideas, like um, just like two months ago, I think when Will Smith uh, slapped uh, Chris Rock on stage, you know, our team came out with a little post, you know, Bezoji slapping another Bezoji, you know, that propagates through the internet, gets about 130,000 views. You know what I mean? <laughs> so what makes it easy for us is that we are able to consistently com communicate and bring this kind of entertainment into the game, right? So SBF got arrested, you know, we can meme that, you know, um, and generally because we're decentralized, we can go very borderline with the memes as well, right? Um, and, and, and generally because we have no centralized backers at all, we generally have no issue building anything that we want. So Wow, that sounds great. It's a very Gen Z marketing and, and game dynamic strategy, but yeah, I could see that working. That, that would definitely work on social media. So you have a multi, 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 multi-million dollar market cap token sitting there which did zero pre-sale, right? So the whole concept of showing people the value of blockchain was very important to us. 
So meme brings engagement and then our game provides education. So for example, you're a web two gamer, okay? You came into Legends of Bezoja. You're like, man, this is a lot of fun. You start clicking around, you start running around, you killed a few enemies, you did a quest, okay? You decide you wanna continue playing the game. And you also realize that, hey, if I take a few steps, like install MetaMask and stuff, I can actually move this value into my own control, right? And that's how people will then adopt into crypto. They'll come for the fun and then leave with a bit of blockchain. And that's that. That's technically a bigger purpose underlining be, below Legends of Bezoji as to why it's been built this way. Um, uh, even our NFTs, you don't really need to own a character to play. We have a rental mechanism that runs algorithmically out of a pool which rewards all NFT owners. So even if you come into the game as a Web2 player, you won't realize that you've rented a Bezoji and you're running a profit share with, a, with the NFT owner. So generally, like I said, we, we wanted to create something completely zero barrier to entry, something completely engaging and entertaining weekly. Not just that, hey, it's a game and now active players have gone up and it's peaked. Every week, there should be new forms of engagement which we keep doing as well, right? We have our live game development sessions on Discord where the community comes in, gives us stupid ideas and they see it getting designed in real life. And as well as the education of crypto. That when they come in and they go to the bull markets, they go to the neutral zone, they go to bullish, they go to bearish. I mean, we have whale on Musk. It's a big whale that flies around Bezogia or we have the Colosseums where a lot of this crypto stuff has been embedded into engagement and entertainment. So we're saying, hey, let gamers come and enjoy the game and they'll fall in love with crypto themselves. You know, that's kind of like our whole whole purpose in a way. Yeah, um, and and it's kind of goes back to what we referenced earlier that kind of you've got the culture of gaming in there, but you've also got this kind of meme culture and crypto culture, which is slightly different, right, to the video gaming culture that, that we might have grown up with, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, so it's super interesting, you know, just the aesthetics, the marketing dynamics, the culture of the game itself, the, the way you interact with the characters and some of the economic aspects. I wanted to so, ask you, because I mean, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Zach. No, I'm just saying like what, what, what feels like a validation is uh, to us is seeing how many people actually engage with us, right? So like two months ago when we opened up beta testing sessions, we had like 7,000 beta testers that applied. Wow, Literally 4,000 people waiting in queue just to play a beta version of a game, which is, if you ask me, still kind of empty. And when we launched our Zoji Lab account signups, in the last month and a half, we've had more signups than Ethereum has wallets created. I think we've crossed 25,000 signups to our Zoji Labs account. So wow, it broke. shows that people are wanting to participate and people are enjoying the memes and the entertainment because everyone likes a good laugh you know exactly yeah that's definitely it and i think that point on not having the kind of centralized corporate ownership probably definitely helps that um we're getting towards the end of our time here but i wanted to ask kind of final question about this because this sinks in really well to what's happening in the gaming market more generally over the next couple of years where do you think your competition is going to come from, but, but a better question might be, where is all of this going? You know, I'm a big VR fan. 
I really enjoy VR, but you know, there's also questions about how accessible VR is going to be. There's this theory that all of this is going to coalesce. So, you know, you'll be playing an immersive video game in VR. You'll be working with virtual assets. You'll be in kind of an Assassin's Creed, you know, AA, AAA type game within within 10 years where all of this has been interconnected. Or do you think the AAA game, you know, multi-billion dollar companies, some of them more than that, you know, you've got Microsoft's potential acquisition of um Blizzard, or sorry, Activision. Do you think uh, AA? Do you think that AA big gaming companies are going to move into this space and they're going to kind of co-op the areas they like, or do you think blockchain-based gaming, uh, based on the numbers you've just given me, has a very, very promising future ahead of it, and um, you know is going to steal significant amounts of market share from the old Web two console-based gaming market? Basically, quick question: Where is all this going, Zach? Got it. So look, when it comes to VR, it's all about accessibility to hardware. Mm-hmm. I'll answer that very quickly to you. So I was um, I was in the Himalayas over the weekend uh, in August uh, going on a hike um, and I walked down through a village and there was a little young girl tending some goats and she had an Android phone in her hand. Okay. This would not have been a reality one or two years ago because smartphones were too costly. Right. So technology and hardware, as it gets cheaper, becomes more accessible. Right now, there's Androids, handhelds everywhere in every country of the world, in poor and rich and everywhere. Right. So you can say, yes, people have better accessibility. That's why we've also seen this huge influx of users where I see all this going. So I might just be giving away a big secret to my competitors. Right. Um, and they're not really competitors because if people are coming to bring joy and entertainment to people's faces, hey, I think we should all be a brotherhood because it's a great cause. But moving on, what happens is we spent six months, right? It was a team of like seven people. There's like PhDs and data science and all of that. The biggest issue we faced that we had to literally quote from scratch was sustainability and the economy of these games. And what's happening is, generally what I've noticed is right now, people are taking successful titles, AAA, Web2, whatever whatever you want to call them. And they're saying, hey, we're going to bring this onto the blockchain. Okay, that's fantastic. But how are you going to sustain the economy of the game? If you were to decentralize V-Bucks in Fortnite, it would be a big issue because it's not meant to be transferred. It's not meant to be traded. It's only meant to be used in the game to do buy more things within the game. So I think generally what I've seen is that it's, it's not a good idea to say, hey, just because Temple Run was such a successful game that if I create Temple Run on blockchain, it will run. Sure, it will run, but all it will do is keep sucking tokens out of your liquidity because that's the way the game was designed. So I think generally a lot of people in the industry need to focus on that. Um, We actually put out a 70-page long scientific white paper with all our formulas of sustainability. Um, Like I said, call us decentralized or grateful for public servers. We're very open source. So we put all our sustainability mechanics and formulas out there, right? Hopefully that people see it, people come back to us, people improve on it as we implement it into Legends of Bezogia. So where I see this 
going is a, a lot of trial and error. A lot of trial and error. Uh, before a lot of these games realize that, hey, these assets are not worth that much. Or wait a second, we really need a more circulating economy. Um, and if you ask me with Microsoft's um, for a with Activision, let's see if that deal goes through because I I think they're in some kind of some kind of issue, right? For for being in like a, trying to monopolize the market, who knows? Yeah. But I generally see everyone's gonna come to blockchain. They have to, right? And it doesn't take much. Like when Reddit flipped the switch, right? And all of a sudden it's profile pictures or whatever. It's two avatars. They're two and a half million NFTs. <laughs> and it found value, you know? Everyone's going to come to blockchain because users are going to demand that their time and their value stays with them. And once people like us start proving the concept, right? Once we start spoiling the gamers saying, hey man, you don't have to give us back anything. We're just a service. We're just a platform. You come, you're playing the game. It's just the fees that you're paying to 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 trade. There is no centralized authority where you're dumping millions of your hard-earned money into. I think once people like us, products like ours, start spoiling gamers, it'll be very hard for them to look the other way, right? So I do see in the next five years, the metaverse, sure, might become a little more of a reality when it comes to maybe just special events or community get-togethers. Um, I, I don't really see a meta, a very fluid metaverse where millions of people just want to come and hang out just, just yet in the near future. But with gaming, definitely. I feel that all gamers are going to start demanding that, hey, man, this is my character. I took it from level 1 to 100. I want to own it. I want to be able to sell it. I want to be able to, I don't know, whatever I want to do with it, I want to be, I should be able to do it because like you said, I've put 80 hours into this. I've put 800 hours into this. And then they'll be like, you know what? I don't want to play World of Warcraft. I'll play Legends of Bezogio because it's just as entertaining. I'm having just as much fun. But you know what? That sword's worth $100 and I can actually get $100 when I want for it. So I think generally blockchain will be integrated into every game at some point of time. Um, and like I said, there is technical issues that the competition really needs to worry about. That not every Web2 game is economically designed to sustain on the blockchain when you click the switch on and the value transfer becomes two-way. Good insights. Um, Ahmad Zakaria, thanks so much for your time on the UAE Tech Podcast. Hey, thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Sponsor information. The UAE Tech Podcast is distributed by Alboaba Business free of charge. To sponsor a single episode or a series of themed episodes, please contact our editorial team or download a sponsorship press pack. Sponsors receive an article on Alboaba Business, syndication distribution on Alboaba Syndicate, email direct marketing across the region, and brand inclusion across all podcast marketing design, audio, and video formats. Alboaba is not a PR company, and we do retain editorial discretion and quality control as an independent publisher. Companies looking to support a dialogue on technological transformation in the UAE are encouraged to contact our team.